Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you'll allow me to start off with a story today. This past weekend, as we were traveling, we had the unfortunate circumstance of flying on an airline that you would think a couple of church workers would enjoy. Uh, unfortunately, Spirit Airlines is uh, its not the Holy Spirit. We'll just say that. Uh, and of course, the extra unfortunate circumstance is that we were on a connecting flight through Las Vegas. Well, about an hour before we were supposed to land, the pilot came on the little intercom system and, oh, hey guys, uh, we're just going to let you know we're going to hit a little uh, turbulence. Uh, so you're going to want to go ahead and buckle up and stay in your seat, and uh, we'll have you down in about an hour or so. And so, okay, sure, that's, that's normal enough. We can buckle up, and, uh, and they're kind of shaking a little bit, and okay, that's, that's fairly normal. Um, but then it got a little different when the, the flight attendant came on and said, uh, well, hello, uh, according to our captain, because we're in some extra turbulence, we're, we're not going to pass through the cabin for the landing procedure, so we're just on the honor system today. So if you could just make sure your seats are upright and your tray table's put away for landing, that would be great. Which I'm thinking, like, tray table, like, it's like this big. Like, what am I, if you haven't flown Spirit, you first And really, I've never heard that before, where they were on the honor system for the landing procedures, uh, but I mean, it's spirit. Like, we're just lucky to have flight attendants, right? You know, they didn't just recruit one of us, like, hey, you're in charge today. Um, so as, as we're going along, you know, it, it's turbulent. Yes, it's not out of the ordinary until, uh, you know, we hear the noises of the, the landing gear coming out and all that, and we're lowering down, and the engines are kind of cutting back, and I'm looking out the wing, and I can see the, the flappy doing its flappy stuff. And, uh, and as we get pretty close to that, th this rock that we call home, suddenly the engines went from like power level 2 to like power level 10 and suddenly we went like this as our landing went different and became an aborted landing um, and we went back up into the air and I thought well that's curious uh, and we began circling and trying again and again it took four times to land that plane and I remember the, the flight attendant came on and there, this I've never heard she said ladies and gentlemen we are in an emergency situation Please make sure your seatbelts are tightened and, and I quote, hold on tight was the exact phrase. At one point I thought we were going out over Lake Mead. I'm like, are we making a water landing? What is happening? Like, do we not have landing gear? I was, I was praying. It was, it was an intense situation. We did land and the, uh, the, the flight attendant uh, would, literally with tears in her eyes, the first thing she said was, thank God for these pilots, which is never what you want to hear after a landing, everybody applauded and all that, and they, they collected an awful lot of um, air sick bags. We'll just say that. So I tell you that story because today I want to talk about fear <laughs> as, a, as a fun little coincidence. So let's, let's go to God in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for getting me to today. After the flight last weekend, I wasn't sure that I'd make it to now. So, Lord, we thank you for that, Lord. We all thank you for the chance to worship together, this chance to come together and to be present. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be present. Let us uh, put away the distractions of this world. Lord, we thank you so much. And I thank you for the chance to share your message. Lord, I pray that it is your message. I submit myself to you, and I pray that you would speak that this is not about me nor from me, but it is about and from you. Let your truth be proclaimed and heard. In your name we pray. Amen. 
A special welcome to those of you joining online. If you are joining just for the sermon part, I am Pastor Tyler Moore, lead pastor here. It's my privilege to be able to guide you through the Word of God today. Our main reading is going to be from that gospel reading, which we heard just moments ago in, this, in the service, Matthew chapter 13. Now, this is uh, it's an interesting part of the lectionary because it's, it's in the middle of a teaching uh, where Jesus is kind of doing some rapid-fire parables, he did just a bunch of them in a row. And because they're kind of rapid-fire, they tend to be a little shorter and thus not as well-known. Like, this isn't the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the good Samaritan. You know, nobody really talks about, like, the parable of the guy who found treasure in a field. Um, but they're still incredibly valuable. I mean, this is God teaching us. This is directly from God. So there's a lot that we can learn from this particular section. And when it came to those previous uh, messages. Pastor Jason did a great job. I'd encourage you to check them out online if you haven't seen them. I think because we're doing this weird kind of lectionary thing where you're picking up a, a teaching halfway through, we're missing a little bit of literary context. See, uh, in doing these parables, in some way Jesus is kind of following the Hebrew poetry model. And if you've studied any Hebrew poetry, whether that be Psalms, um, some Proverbs, a couple of other places in the Old Testament, um, Hebrew or Hebraic poetry often like repeats itself over and over again, right? It does. It'll say something and then come back in with another repeat uh, that you're like, well, you just said that. Why are you saying it again? But slightly different. That's Hebraic poetry. That's kind of what they do. And so when it comes to these these uh, parables, what we see is these repetitions. And actually, our our third parable in our reading today, the one about the fish, the good fish and the bad fish, that's actually a reference back to the message from last week, the wheat and the weeds, and this idea of sorting, right? So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time dwelling on that. But I, I do think that there is something additional that we can pull from this particular parable. Because yes, our, our human nature is drawn to what's happening to the bad fish, right? It's kind of evocative language, this whole weeping and gnashing of teeth thing. We're kind of like, whoa, what's that all about, right? And again, Pastor Jason kind of covered that last week. Check that out. Um, but what I also want to point out is the method by which they are fishing, right? It says that, that they, these people are, are casting out this net, literally casting a wide net. It's a, a common term. Uh, to, to bring in anything at all, anything and everything, the good fish, the bad fish, which maybe you're wondering, what is a bad fish? Like what constitutes, a is it a certain size? No, it actually goes back to Leviticus chapter 11 on clean and unclean foods. And it says that the, the fish that are clean have scales and fins. So things like crustaceans, eels, etc., those are chucked over the side. Those are the bad fish that are being referenced there. Um, but they're not picking and choosing what they're bringing in. In fact, they, they bring in and bring in and bring in until it says what? Until the boat is full. And remember, we're not talking about fish here. We are talking about the kingdom of God. We are talking about the church in some sense, right? And so for us, what we can learn from this parable is the idea of casting a wide net, of recognizing that all are welcome here that we aren't to pick and choose based on morality, based on how somebody looks or acts or, or what their past is. All are welcome here. So pick your favorite sin that outrages you or offends you or whatever. Yeah, they are welcome here too. It's not us up to us to judge. We cast the wide net and bring all in so that God can sort it all out, right? Because if the church... If the church didn't allow sinners, boy, this building would be a lot quieter, wouldn't it? 
Yeah. So let's go on. I don't want to belabor that particular parable. Let's go on to the other, uh, two of the other ones, because there's actually kind of a third one there at the very end. But I want to look at, at these two that, again, kind of this, uh, this thematic rhyming of Hebrew poetry, where you have a man who finds treasure in a field, and in his joy, it says, sells everything he has to buy that field. And then the other one, a merchant who is searching for pearls, finds one that's incredibly valuable, sells everything he has, and buys that pearl. So you see, you know, very common theme, but there are some differences here. For the, the man who is buying the field, we can surmise that he probably is not a man of wealth, right? Because it says that, that he finds the treasure and then he recovers it. He hides it again and then he goes to buy the field. What that tells us most likely is the current owner of the field doesn't know the treasure is there. And yet, the man had to sell everything he owned to buy this seemingly treasureless field. It cost everything that he had to buy this plot of land. Now, what he's hoping for is that that treasure that's there is so valuable that he'll get back everything that he lost. More on that in a minute. So he's poor, but then you have the merchant who is searching for pearls. We, we would assume that perhaps he maybe has some equipment for this searching for pearls. We don't know if he's actually the one going to get the pearls, but either way, he finds one. He finds the very thing that he's been looking for, and he sees that it has this immense value. In fact, we can probably assume that the person selling it also knew that that pearl was quite valuable because this merchant, again, sold everything that he had to buy this pearl. Basically, he said, my quest is over. I found the one that I'm looking for. This is the thing that I've been searching for for so long, and it is worth everything. Remember, we're not talking about pearls here. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about God's love and his grace. We're talking about eternity. It is worth everything. It's worth noting, by the way, that there doesn't seem to be any sort of hesitation on the part of either of these men when it comes to selling everything they have. In fact, the man with the field, it says, in his joy, he sells everything he has. Compare that to the story, not the parable, the actual real-life story of the rich young ruler who goes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to get into heaven? And Jesus, after a couple questions and back and forth, says, sell everything you have. And it says the rich young ruler did what? He went away sad. So the question is, when we give when we are generous, when we recognize the blessings that we have in our lives and get the opportunity to give back, are we seeing it as an opportunity or an obligation? Are we approaching it with joy because of what God has given us? Or are we approaching it with sadness because we're giving away what we think we are entitled to? But there's something else with these parables that we can learn from. See, this man with the field. I may be going slightly out on a limb here, but... I don't think he knows how much treasure's there. I don't think he realizes the full value of what he is buying. Because if he did, uh, why this whole like recovering and hiding it and stuff, I'm going to guess he wants to buy that land so that he can search and find just how much is there. Dig it up and figure out what's going on. By the way, this was actually a fairly common practice, the whole burying treasure thing. Apparently there are a lot of pirates in the Old Testament. Um, but no, it, it's fairly common where they, first of all, they didn't trust banks, right? That's why tax collectors considered to be kind of liars, cheats, thieves. They didn't trust banks. Also, there were a lot of, of robbers, people who would break in. There's in this same gospel where you hear, don't store up your treasure 
where moth or rust destroy or thieves break in and steal. And so it was fairly common to bury your wealth, your hoard, if you will. And sometimes people would die, they'd move away, and that treasure would get lost. And literally there would be like hidden buried treasure. So this man has this, this plot of land that he, he thinks there is some decent wealth on, but, but I don't think he's quite sure. He doesn't quite know how much is there. He's kind of gambling a little bit. And if you're a finance person, anybody raise your hand if, you're, if you have a background in finance. Anyone here have a finance? I know we have more than are willing to raise your hand because finance people are usually introverts and they're like, mm-mm, not going to do that. Um, it's not necessarily a sound financial investment to give up everything you have on the hope that there's more treasure on this land, right? That's not super secure and not a real safe thing to do. And the reason that we don't do such things, the reason that somebody who is a financer would look at these two parables and go, eh, I don't know about those, it's based out of fear. Fear for that man of what if there isn't more treasure? What if all he has seen is all that's there? Fear that, that this pearl, maybe it was wrongly invested. Maybe they didn't know how much it was worth. Whatever it is, right? It's fear of falling short. We as humans are so dictated by fear, ruled by fear. And fear manifests in a lot of, of different ways. You know, they say that the number one fear is public speaking, which that's actually not true. It's not the fear of public speaking. It's the fear of failing while public speaking. It's the fear of public humiliation. That's actually what the fear is, right? Because I'll tell you right now, if you're good at public speaking, you're not afraid of it. Because people come up and they're like, that was great, that was so good. Like that, people like that. No, it's the fear of failing while public speaking. The fear of commitment, people aren't actually afraid of commitment. They're afraid of that broken commitment. They're afraid of being let down. They're afraid of being wrong again. They're afraid of failure. This is the fear that is within us, this fear of failing. And we let this dictate us. It gives us power or gives power over us, I should say, right? Like if I found out that, that you're afraid of, of snakes and I had a snake, suddenly I can direct where you go, right? Because you're going to run away from me if I'm holding the snake. Fear is a powerful thing. And we let this fear of failure rule our lives. It makes us timid. It takes away our boldness. And even more than that, if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, this is the third chapter of Genesis. We're not even in the first chapter of Genesis, really. By Genesis chapter 3, we've already sinned as humans. And the very first time that it says anything about a human being afraid, it says that God was walking in the garden and Adam did what? He hid. And why? Because he was afraid. Fear makes us hide from God. Why are you hiding from God? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of failing in? Because see, here's the thing. Our Romans reading, Romans chapter 8 says, for God works all things to the good. That's the actual translation. Our translation we read today where, where all things work to the good of, no, no, God is the subject there. God works all things to the good of those who believe. If you truly believe that, if you truly believe that God will work out all things to the good, why are you so afraid? Why are you so timid? Why do you hold back? Why aren't you so bold knowing, hey, no matter what, God's going to work this out to the good? 
Why aren't you living a life that terrifies other people? Why aren't you living a life where you are having just reckless trust, faith to the utmost? This is why when Jesus wakes up in the midst of the storm and the disciples are terrified, he doesn't say, oh, you bunch of scaredy cats. What does he say? Oh, ye of little faith. Faith is the enemy of fear. And we as Christians, as believers, if you're sitting here today and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, inspiring that faith, we are called to fearless lives, to bold lives. We are called to leave behind timidity. In Joshua, God says, have I not commanded you to not be discouraged? See, we take discouraged and we think it means frustrated. No, discouraged removing courage in our lives we are called it's a mandate it's a commandment it's not a suggestion from god and yet we live these timid weak lives hoping that everything's lined up before we take action hoping that everything is just secure enough oh this is a a sound financial investment so i guess i'll make the leap that's not a leap that's a step no make the leap do something bold trust that god will work all things to the good as an individual, and as a church. As a church, we are called to be bold. More than conquerors. We're barely more than cowards. We live these timid lives where we make little subtle changes. We should be bold and reaching people in this world for the sake of others, going out and proclaiming Jesus, doing radical things to try and get people to know the hope that they have through God. Because here's the thing. Even if we fail, this thing that we're most afraid of, even if we fail, God will work it out for the good. Even if we fall flat on our face, there is nothing that will separate us from the love of God. That's a pretty good safety net, isn't it? That safety net of knowing that no matter what you do, no matter what principalities and and angels and demons, no matter what famine and nakedness and all those things that are listed in Romans chapter 8, none of it will separate you from the love of Christ. So what are you afraid of? Why do you live a life of fear? God did not call you to a spirit of timidity, but of boldness and courage. Take the step. No, take the leap and trust in God. From this day forward, this will be a church of faith. This will be a church of trust. This will be a church that will try bold things knowing that God will work it out for the good either way. That is our calling. To do anything else is to turn our back on the Almighty God. Let that be true in your life. Leave behind the fear that's holding you back. If you knew that you were going to be successful at whatever you do, wouldn't you live your life differently? If you trusted that God was going to work out everything for the good, wouldn't you try a little more? Wouldn't you do something a little differently? May we live lives of bold faith, of action. May we live unrelentingly trusting lives, knowing that we are loved, that we are forgiven even if we fail, that we are protected 
by the almighty, all-powerful God, and that through it all we are guided by him. May we trust and have faith. Amen? Amen.